I'm Danielle. And I'm Christy. And you are listening to Snacks with Stein. Let's do it. Welcome back to Snacks with Stein. I'm Christy. I'm here with Danielle. Hello. Episode 23. So before we get into the episode, we have a Patreon toast. We have a new patron and it is my good friend Tinker. Her name is Angela Tinker, but I've called her Tinker since college. So Tinker has decided to contribute to the show, which is fantastic. And she joined at the haunted sandwich level. So that means that she gets a toast on the show. She gets to pick a book for us to do on the show. And she also gets access to episodes early. So pretty much on Patreon, that's just like the minute I finish them and upload them, I'll send them to Patreon. So you guys have them early. She also gets access to our new monthly snack recipes on Patreon. And I think this month uh, was for September, I believe. I did my spooky salmon dip, which is always a hit. So if you want to get all that stuff or you want to just go check it out, go ahead and head over to patreon.com backslash snacks with Stein, all one word, and just go check it out. You can see all the different rewards for the membership levels and membership starts at just $2 per month. So if everyone will please raise their glass, here's our toast for Miss Angela Tinker. And Mabel. We heard you got a new puppy who likes to have rubs on her tummy. We wish you potty training success and hope you never have to clean up a mess because that would just be super yucky. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. So you may have seen some of the posts that we've been sharing in the Facebook group lately about our special that's coming out very soon. We teamed up with our friends at the Haunted Heart Podcast for a special two-part audio drama of Ray Bradbury's The Halloween Tree. And part one will be coming out on October 13th. And part two will be out on October 15th. So we really hope you take a listen. It was a super fun project to work on. It's kid friendly. So you can gather everyone around like the old days and pretend you don't have a TV and listen to us talk about (laughs) Halloween. Stare at the computer screen. (laughs) Get one of those fake like radio backgrounds and pretend it's a radio. Oh, what a good idea. A glowing radio background. I love it. Yes. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Okay, so before we get started today, I just want to give a really quick shout out to our bingo winners from the last Haunted House Fear Street episodes. Um, We had Erica Cantu, who was our winner for Five Across. And Erica, I really hope that's how you say your name. I went into that hot. I just went with it. I'm really hoping that's how you say your name. And then we also had uh, Tresha Tassoni. It's Tassoni, right? Yeah. Who was our winner for Blackout. So ladies, if you will please PM us your mailing address, we'll get you a little something in the mail from us. 
Okay. So congratulations and much respect for our winners. <laughs> I dare say they'll be back for round two. So everybody out there no. who's planning on playing, just better watch out. <laughs> So I'm having, I'm really boring today, and I'm just having an ice latte because I, I think need that's good. I kind of feel bad for you because we usually record like right after <laughs> you've had dinner. So I'm I like, know. what are you eating now? <laughs> and it's like, God, oh, I have to come up with something and I just ate. So I'm sorry. We can swip swap at some point swip if swap. you would like to like eat your dinner and then you could tell your story first. Oh, no, we've never back. done me first. <laughs> I don't know. At this point, it, would it be weird, like, changing sides of the bed? I don't know. Might be. Might be like, what is this? Like, your your butt groove is in the chair, and you can't get rid of it. Right. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to think about it. But just an option for you, because I do feel bad, because I feel like we always hit you right it's after okay. dinner. Okay. I can have dessert. So dessert today is my iced latte. That's my mm, dessert today. Well, you enjoy mm -hmm. that. And I'm going to tell you a story, and everybody knows that today we're doing the 99 Fear Street, the second horror. And I chose this one because it's number two in the set that we're doing, and I wanted to do them all together for spooky season. So yeah, Haunted House Bingo was a hit, so we're back for round two. So if you're listening and you want to play, go to our Facebook page, request a bingo card. It's on the pinned post right at the top. We will respond to you with your personalized bingo cards so you can play along and mark off your spaces as all the creepy shit goes down on Fear Street. The cover on this one is very puzzling to me. Maybe because this is the first time that we've actually known a little bit about a story before we go into it and have like a basis for comparison. So, so there's a big, big house in the background and then there's some like very menacing looking lightning coming down from the sky over the house. There's an attractive young couple and they appear to be fleeing from the house. They're running oh. away. They're definitely in motion. And in like the lower right corner, mm -hmm. there is this glowing skull, but it's impaled on like two or three spears, which seem to have native markings on the spearheads huh. and the reason i found this confusing is that it's 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 got a very indigenous kind of feel to it and we know that mm -hmm. from book one there's not any kind of like native or indigenous references no so... there's nothing like that yeah so okay interesting okay. going left going left on that one we don't know <laughs> so the copyright is from 1994 Parachute Press. And once again, there is no tagline. But on the back, above the description, it says, quote, there's no place like home. So you know what's funny about the taglines is that the like, goosebumps tend to have two. There's your oh. tagline on the front, and then they always have a back one too. So I always read the front one and ignore the back one, but there is technically two. So that's interesting. I always read the front one, too, and I never, ever read the back one, but because there's nothing on the front, mm -hmm. I mean, I guess there's a lot of text. I, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, and I did consider doing a recap, but honestly, <laughs> just go back and listen to episode 21, okay? <laughs> listen to that one first. Go ahead and pause. Yes. Go back and do that, and then go come back. back. We'll wait for you. And once again, we start with a prologue. 
and it pretty much picks up exactly where the other one left off. In fact, I okay. think that part of the epilogue of book one is part of the prologue of book two. So we're, we're, we're going right into it. And the ghost of Callie, the self-centered bitch, is watching <laughs> with menace as a new family moves into 99 Fear Street. She is super bitter. She's thinking about how unfair it is that she is dead and all these other people are still alive. To her delight, they have a teenaged son. Callie thinks of her own family and the family of the original builder of the house, and she looks down again at the boy. The boy is holding a black and white cat. fear for the cat. Mm-hmm. And she cannot wait to get to know him. Oh. Okay, so how do I say this name? It's B-R-A-N-D-T. Oh, Brant. Brant. For a second mm-hmm. I was like, like is this like, is this like Goonies? Like, like the kid in Goonies? But I think he, he was Brand and not Brant. I just, the D is throwing me off. It seems so unnecessary. It's Brant, yeah. If it's B, okay. it's like Brand and then a T. Yeah, it's yeah. Brant. Why the D? Okay. It's stupid. Stupid. Brant <laughs> McCoy is moving into 99 Fear Street with his family. The cat's name is Ezra, which is adorable. And Ezra. I love it when cats have people Anyone. names. Adorable. And Brant's dad has some kind of, like, collection of tribal masks that he's very concerned about breaking in the moving boxes. Brant goes to help the movers, and Mom reminds him about not taking any very heavy boxes, you know, because of his condition. Mm -hmm. And that's all she says. And here, I just need to take a moment, because I see another theme, and I'm wondering if this is, like, a regional thing. Because I moved a lot I moved as a kid, I moved as an adult, I moved a lot as a student, and never once, not once, did me or my family ever hire movers who would, like, come to your house and box up your crap and then take it to a new place and you don't have to do anything. Is that is that just our family that didn't do that? Because it seems every time somebody moves in these books, they've got movers I mean, I know people who've done it, like if they have a lot of stuff or like, you know, that kind of a thing. We never did it. We just had friends and family help us. So, I mean, there's moving companies. I know it's a thing. <laughs> but I, I, I knew somebody that worked for a moving company, but I'm trying to remember if I ever like knew anyone on like a first first person basis I who like actually utilized people. movers. It's rich people, I think. Is it rich people? Okay. I didn't know. It's rich I didn't people know. or if you have, like, I would say you have so much stuff. Like, you are you know, you can't, you just cannot. Like, like you, you reach a cannot. point in your life where you have, like, a big house full of crap and then you're going to move to a new mm-hmm. big house. Or if, like, you're crap. moving cross-country maybe and, like, you want to make sure it's professionally <sighs> packed. You know, that well, kind of even a thing. When we moved going on just a long up, journey. Even when we moved just up the mountains, we, uh... I did that pack rat thing where I like filled a container and then they mm-hmm. took it away and then brought me oh, another yeah, container. Mm-hmm. But like I paid for that, but I just, I've mm-hmm. never paid for like humans to move Moving. boxes for me. 
I don't yes, know. either. Mm-mm. We just always had friends and family help. Like, oh, we're moving. Can you help? You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, you get and roped in. You. Yeah, and pretty much. Like, you so much. <laughs> yeah. We used guilt. We used guilt yes. at our house. <laughs> guilt and pizza. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. The, the <laughs> universal moving food. Mm-hmm. Pizza and beer. <laughs> well, so Brent is helping the movers and we get his description. He's described as darkly handsome, which I, I just think means that he's good looking with dark features. I'm assuming it means like he's creepy handsome. <laughs> <laughs> That's what oh, you I want so? to be. Like, I want to be like you're dark, like you know, oh. like like Edward Scissorhands is handsome, mm-hmm. but he's like darkly handsome. Okay, all right, I'm going with you. Okay, Brant's making a new appeal. Um, we also learn that Mr. McCoy is an anthropologist. Blah anthropologist, and the family has been living on a remote island in the Pacific for the last few years. And dad studies that tribe's form of mysticism. I see where this is going. But they decided to move back to the States to give Brandt a normal high school experience. Okay. Why? Why though? You're on an island. Island. I'd rather have an island. High school. Yeah, I know. I need an island experience. <laughs> yeah, okay, can I yes. have that now? <laughs> Oh, also, quick aside, barely, barely worth mentioning. Uh, Brant wears this leather pouch around his neck that he never takes off. But pay no mind. It's totally normal. It doesn't matter. It's like <laughs> I have one of those in the Renaissance Fair, and it was like, it was full of shells. <laughs> oh, I love the Renaissance Fair. Damn it. I had one as a kid, and it was like my little tiny leather pouch necklace, and it had like some, it was like teal, and it had some little symbol on it, and then it had little shells inside. <laughs> oh, did you do spells? I probably did. I'm sure I did. That was probably like, I'm a witch spell. <laughs> <laughs> Shazam! <laughs> Shazam with my shells. Mm-hmm. So the family's unpacking, and there are no siblings, it's just Brant, right? And Mr. McCoy discovers that there are rats in the basement. More fucking rats? Oh my god. What a shock. And as if on cue, guess who shows up? No. (laughs) Not that man again. (laughs) It's Mr. Hankers telling more lies about being a skilled professional in the art of ridding a house of rats. And once again... He is hired on the spot and disappears into the basement. He has to be dead. This man has to be a ghost that people can see and he just comes at the house. Like you buy a house and you buy these two ghosts. Like on American Horror Story, the first season. Like why is the maid there? Oh yeah, she's dead. But she comes at the house and you don't know she's dead. That has to be what it is. I love that how like we just dismiss him to the basement and then forget about him. Like it's fine. Again. And yeah. he never comes out. Like we never nope. see him leave. Nope. Nope. Just go in the basement. Oh my God. So mom and dad and Brant are having pizza. Hey, hey. And unpacked yeah. all of dad's tribal artifacts. Dad wants to get them all kind of hung up first thing to make sure that they will have good luck in their new house with a fresh start. So Brant lets Ezra into the room and dad is putting nails to hang a set of spears. Brant takes a spear from the box and begins to hand it to his dad and he feels something on his arm. 
something pulling him. The spear points down and flies out of his hand. Straight through Ezra. Oh my god, he died already? Pinning him to the floor and killing him. I hate it too. We're not starting off well. Poor Ezra. We barely knew ye. Mom and Dad are not making things better by telling Brant that Ezra was pretty old anyways. He can get a new cat if he wants. No. I know. No. They also ask him if he's nervous about starting school on Monday. But mostly he's just bummed about his cat that just died. So like he died excuses violently. himself. Not I know. Not like just died, but died violently. <laughs> well, and I, I cut this out because I was, I was for time, but like he, he kind of excuses himself. He goes upstairs. There's this really sad moment where he like, he rolls over and kind of reaches to pet Ezra and Ezra's not there. Aww. It's like, this sucks. That's sucks. Got it. I hate it. So he's laying in his bed and and he's trying to fall asleep and he starts hearing these scratches on his door. Wait, they're not at the door. They seem to be coming from above. They seem to be coming from the attic. And the scratches now sound a lot more like footsteps. So Brant's laying there and he's going, has somebody broken into the attic? So he gets out of bed. He heads off down the hallway to find the door to the attic. He passes his parents' room, and they're asleep, and he finds the attic door, and he pulls it down. He kind of stares up into the dark attic, and he does a thing that they all do where they're like, is someone up there? And of course, there's no reply, but he can hear the floorboards, like, creaking in the attic up there. So Mm -hmm. he he goes up the steps, and he decides if someone's in there, he's going to deal with it. You know, this is these aren't teenage girls we're dealing with anymore. This is a teenage boy. He's going to go take care of it. Right? So he goes up there, he reaches the top of the stairs, he calls out again. Nothing. And then he finds the culprit. A fat raccoon. Nice. Trash panda on the loose in the (laughs) attic. And what follows is a ridiculously long and epic battle. Brant versus Chubby Trash Panda. Okay. <laughs> Brant finds a broom. The Trash Panda's all like, come at me, bro. He bears his teeth. Trash Panda leaps for Brant, goes for his throat. Brant smashes it away with the broom. But Trash Panda rolls and kind of springs back up. And Brant's like poking at him with the broom. Oh, like Jesus. the end part of it. And Trash Panda catches the broom in his teeth and like rips it out of his hands. And the fight scene. Yeah. Oh, raccoon is crazy. And the fight scene goes on and on until somehow Brant manages to push it out of an attic window and then close and lock the window. Another day, Chubby Trash Panda. Another day. Brant checks the attic for more intruders, and then he goes back downstairs. <laughs> Dad meets him in the hall with the general attitude of, what the fuck? Because yeah. I'm sure he made a lot of noise up there. Yeah. I was going to say, did anyone wake up during this insane 
Well, imagine his dad at the bottom of the with... attic stairs, like, what the fuck, dude? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it makes me think of um, Incredibles. Yes, the exactly. One, Jack, Jack, and the raccoon. Yes, and the crazy <laughs> raccoon. Yeah. And Brent tells him the epic tale of the raccoon battle. And also says that he thinks the raccoon was rabid because it was, like, acting crazy. So dad kind of checks Brant over and makes sure that, like, he's not hurt. And then he yells at him for trying to fight a trash panda alone. (laughs) And once again mentions this mysterious condition, right? Mysterious condition. Mysterious. So Callie's ghost watches all this go down. She's amused and she thinks, you know, Brant is cute and she's plotting like all sorts of horrible ways to fuck with him and his family. So even in the afterlife, it's all about Callie. (laughs) That night, Brant's trying to get some sleep because the next day is the first day of school at Shadyside. He's just about to go to sleep when he feels this kind of like icy cold breath on the back of his neck. And at first he thought, ooh, there's kind of like a draft, but then he kind of felt it again. And then he felt something bite the back of his neck. Ew. Hard. Okay. It was the pan. It was the trash pan. Some, something bit the shit out of him, okay? <laughs> but when dad comes to check on him, there's no blood. There's no bite marks. <laughs> dad convinces Brant, it must have been a dream. Must have been a dream. Brant's not convinced, though felt pretty real since he was the one that got bit. I don't know. The next morning, Brant goes down for breakfast and finds a strange woman vacuuming the floor. Danielle. No. <laughs> who's vacuuming the floor? That same lady. It's Mrs. Nordstrom. Oh, that Doom- was her name. Okay. Yes. Doomed to clean this goddamn house forever. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're ghosts. (laughs) She's also popped up and is also hired on the spot with no background check. Again, Brant sits down to talk to his parents before heading off to school. He says that he doesn't think that the bite on the back of his neck was a dream, and he says that the house is haunted. He asks his dad to look into the house to see if the house could be, like, have a history. Um, And his dad agrees. I mean, after all, his dad's an anthropologist. He's into spooky shit. They're like, yeah, it could be haunted. We'll look into it. No problem. And they remind him, you know, take it easy at school, your condition. (laughs) And he heads off across the lawn. And as he steps off the property, he runs into Abby. Abby is short and pretty and blonde, and she lives on his street. But she doesn't go to Shadyside. She goes to Darwin Academy, which is apparently an all-girls school somewhere nearby. She says that she saw him move in the other day, and she's like, hey, how's it going? And she says she assumes, like, he's already heard the stories about the house. And Brant is shocked. He wants more details. But Abby is weirdly elusive. She's saying she's not totally sure. She just thinks that, like, you know, some really bad things happen to people who used to live there. There were these two girls that lived there. One of them died. Maybe in the house. (laughs) And he's listening to her tell him like as little as possible. He glances up at the house and he sees his father's body 
hanging from the second story window. Excuse me. Swinging back and forth. He screams and Abby turns and she sees it as well. And they both bolt into the house. They take it into the house. They run upstairs. They burst in their mom and dad's bedroom where they see dad has hung a suit from the window. Oh, jeez. Because you can't tell the difference, but whatever. Yeah. Where's the head? <sighs> He's got a hanger head. I don't know. <laughs> um, air it out. I, who, who knows? So Brant laughs. Ha ha ha. So funny. Introduces so Abby funny. as the neighbor. You know, hey, mom and dad, I know I just burst into your room like a crazy person. Here's our neighbor girl, Abby. <laughs> um, we thought you were dead, but that's cool. We were just talking about how weird everything is. We got to go to school. And they bounce. Bye. Bye. <laughs> but before they part ways, they make a date. Oh. To study on Saturday afternoon. But they already Ab- in school. Yeah, that's my point. Abby says she'll come over around two. And <laughs> literally, in my notes, I have written, yes, okay. She knows what's up. But they don't even go to the same school. It's the first day. What are they going to study? I mean, I guess you could independently study your own things together. Do you make dates with random hot girls just to hang out and be studious? Like, are they going to read about war and peace just for fun? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's no assignment. Whatever. Any hoodles. They're going to read the syllabus. (laughs) Yeah, they are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Um, (laughs) so stupid. So, Brant goes to school. We flip to lunchtime. It's lunchtime on his first day, and Brant meets Ginny and Meg in the lunch line. They make friends, they're cracking jokes about, like, how bad the cafeteria food is, and he decides he thinks they're both pretty cute. Um, but then they head over to this table, and he gets introduced to John who seems to be Jenny's boyfriend. John immediately asks Brant if he plays ball, which I can assume that means football and not copious amounts of masturbation. But John clarifies that he's talking about basketball. Mm. And says that Brant should go out for the team because they need tall guys. Here we are again. (laughs) It's just forcing people to play sports. Leave tall people alone. We don't all (laughs) like it, okay? Stop. (laughs) But let's not go there. Brant decides that even though his mother would kill him, he's going to try out for the team. John approves. He makes sure to remind Ginny of their date on Friday night, kind of throwing Brant a pointed look before (laughs) heading off. Ginny makes some crack about how... He's so jealous, but she does what she wants anyway. And then it's her turn to throw a pointed look at Brant. That afternoon, Brant shows up and goes to basketball practice. After showing that he's actually not that bad at basketball, Coach says that it's very likely he'll make the team. That is, until Brant seems to run totally out of steam. So, like, his arms and limbs weigh a 100 pounds each. And he, just, he keeps telling himself, you know, I can do this. I can get through this. And then later when he's walking home, he's trying to think up some kind of a lie for his parents. 
you know, no way in hell would they let him play basketball. So he needs, he needs an alibi for practice. So he tells his parents he's going out for student council and that they meet every day after school. <laughs> There's a lot of things on the agenda. Yeah. Um, <laughs> lie securely planted. Brant heads up to his room. And when he gets there, it smells bad. Not just a case of, like, he's a teenage boy, but, like, actually really bad. Um, Like, something might have died and was now rotting very close by. And he goes to open a window, and he notices there is a green glowing light coming from the crack under his closet door. Then he remembered his closet door doesn't have an interior light. So Brant slowly moves to the closet and he turns the knob. Oh, but he pulls his hand back. There's some kind of like green slime all over the doorknob. But he wants to know what's in there. So he puts his hand on the door again and he turns it and this cloud of thick white smoke that smells like rotting meat kind of explodes from the closet. And it surrounds him and it covers his face. It's going down his throat. It is choking mom comes to see what's going on everything disappears no green light no bad smell and no smoke Brant at this point knows that there is something in this house that wants to hurt him and Callie watching this with glee from the ether nearby agrees weird the next day is basketball practice Brant has a fall. Well, John kind of charged into him on the court and pushed him down, but he, he falls pretty hard. And the whole team watches as the place where his arm hits the floor starts to bloom into this, like, big, nasty bruise almost instantly. And it's the kind of, like, purple and orange bruise that normally, like, takes days to form. And if you're me, you're, you have no idea how it got there. Um, yeah, yeah I, have, I have no clue. And Coach is like, are you all right, buddy? Because that's not normal. And Brant says, no, he's fine. You know, but Coach is skeptical. He makes Brant sit out for the rest of the practice. That night, he's laying in bed again, thinking about girls. <laughs> all the girls that he's <laughs> met so far. There's Abby and Meg and Jenny. And he's pretty sure they're all into him. Do any boys go to this school? Well, I guess just John. Um, (laughs) He hears this creak above him. Footsteps. Footsteps in the attic. Is Kung Fu Trash Panda back for round two? (laughs) I hope so. I hope this book is all about this this trash panda. Chubby Trash Panda. <laughs> we'll get him a little like 80s cartoon theme, like a little little riff behind him. And this time he actually resists going upstairs for like five seconds before he decides he's got to check it out. So he tiptoes down the hall, creeps up the attic stairs. He reaches the top and flicks on the light. No one there. The attic is empty. He checked all around but could find no one. 
What he did find was a girl's diary left in the center of the floor. The girl had written her name on the first page, Callie Brazier. He flips through the diary and he comes across the entry where she recounts the story that Anthony had told them about the house and about its history. Which, again, if you haven't listened to episode 21, go on and do that. I'm not going to go all the way back through it. Now Brant knows all about the fears and the bodies and the builder's family found with no heads. Thoroughly freaked out, he does the sensible thing. He puts the diary right back where he found it and starts to back out of the room. That is correct. Okay. But as he's leaving, the diary flips open to the last entry. Danielle, do you remember what oh, the God, last I, entry in Callie's diary was? I don't, because I'm a terrible person. The entry says, I died tonight. Okay, it's coming back. There is a fade out. And when we come back to Brant, he's in chemistry class. The teacher announces that they all need to find lab partners, and John asks Jenny to be his partner. And like Scarlett O'Hara at the barbecue, she says slyly that she's already promised Brant. Brant agrees, and after a little fussing from John and Meg, it's settled. Brant and Jenny are lab partners. Brant invites her to his house on Saturday so they can um, prep. For the lab. Mm-hmm. She's basically panting when she's writing down his address until the thing happens when she realizes where he lives. And she's like, weird. But he's hot, so she tells him herself, it's fine. There's nothing to worry about. Stories, it's not true. There's no way that house isn't evil. She's going to be there on Saturday. At basketball practice, they're doing layups. And for those of you who don't know, layups are where you dribble down and shoot the ball one-handed right under the goal. It's important, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Brant and John are doing a competition where they're seeing, like, who can get the most. And Brant dribbles down and goes up for the shot. And there's a loud snap. And Brant screams. He dislocated his shoulder. Coach runs over and pops it back into place. And then tells him to go to the nurse. Coach has never seen a shoulder dislocate that easily, and he's not sure that Brant is going to be able to play this season. Okay. Have you ever seen a shoulder dislocated? Yes. Tell me about it. It's gross. Like, it's not like that, like, visually gross. It's just sort of like you can see that something is wrong, you know, but, like, it's not like it's hanging there <laughs> like a zombie it, arm or something. Was it? Like, what happened? Like, what did that person do to dislocate their shoulder? It was my friend's boyfriend, and he's dislocated his shoulder many, many times because he – Eventually, they just become weak. And this particular time, he did it, like, jumping jumping into a pool. And, like, the weight of the water, like, popped it out. 
<laughs> oh, Christ and I cross. Yeah, but he's done it many weird ways, like just moving wrong. Like he needs surgery or he had surgery. He has to have surgery again. Like basically his shoulder cartilage is useless. <laughs> so, oh, my God. It's yes, I've I have seen it. Um, I have a small dislocation story. In my last year of college, I lived in an apartment that was an old, like, two-story house. And the upstairs was an apartment and the downstairs was an apartment, right? And it was, like, small and crappy and cheap. And Mm -hmm. I lived there with my boyfriend at the time who was a bartender at a bar down the street. That meant that he was gone a lot, like, late at night. And we had a number of people living below us for a while. Mm. It was kind of a revolving door. And at one point, there was, like, this methed out guy and his mom. And I think his girlfriend sometimes. But they were constantly, like, loud fighting at each other, whatever. Um, We were not friends, okay? So one night, my boyfriend, he's, like, he's tending bar late. And I hear screaming from the downstairs apartment. But it's not the normal argumentative screaming. It's, like, pain screaming. Mm -hmm. And then there's a banging at my door. And I'm there alone. It's about midnight. And I know that it's the neighbor. And I know that he knows that I'm home. I'm standing at the top of the stairs and I kind of call down to him through the door and I ask what he wants. And he says, he needs a ride to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Can I take him? Okay. Now, I I don't have any reason to fear this dude. Like, you know, I just, we just don't care for each other. Right. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. He's hurt, okay? And I figured, you know, he probably just doesn't have any insurance. He doesn't want to call an ambulance because those are very expensive. So I agree. I'm like, all right, great. So we get in my car, and on the way to the emergency room, he tells me he's dislocated his shoulder when he fell trying to do push-ups in the handstand position. What? Was he high? In the handstand position. But he fell and he's dislocated his arm. And at this point, I look over at it, which was a mistake, because it was gross. It was just kind of like hanging there. It was all floppy. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so that's my dislocation story. I've seen one. It's gross. It's not cute. Yeah, it's never like cute. (laughs) It's never cute. We cut back to Brent. He's walking home in a sling. He's trying to figure out what lie he's going to tell his parents now. Was there a fist fight at student council? I don't know. Meg steps out into his path and warns him about John. Meg is the friend, right? Jenny is the girl from the lunch line. John is her boyfriend. Meg is the friend. And she says, John's kind of crazy when it comes to Jenny. And that Branch should be careful because John beat up some kid last year that, like, ended up in the hospital. Branch says, you know, don't worry, I can handle John. And Meg, out of nowhere, kisses him. She just goes in hot and lays one on him. Okay? Meg is direct. We like her. Yes, I like her too. So does Brandt, who admits that, you know, he's got a study date with Jenny on Saturday, but asks if Meg wants to hang out on Sunday. Not to study, just, you know, hang out. Mm-hmm. And she agrees. And it seems that our boy is booked solid with girls over the weekend. Dang. Right? He must be real cute. When he gets so to his that dark house. Vibe. That yeah, he's got a dark vibe. It's, it's got a pool. It's got a pool. 
So when he gets to his house, Abby is sitting on the front step. And this is the point where he remembers he made a date with her for Saturday, too. But Jenny must be hotter than Abby because he explains that he got caught up on Saturday and he, he needs to cancel. They need to hang out another day. Abby, the neighbor girl, seems kind of disappointed, but, she, you know, she's like, okay, cool, whatever, and she kind of heads off somewhere on Fear Street. And Brant is feeling, like, really pleased with himself as he goes into the house to tell his parents he fell down the stairs Aww. at school. Can you believe it? Dislocated his shoulder. He sounds like a... It's kind of a little shit. Yeah. Or just, <laughs> yeah. Like you don't you don't get there for a minute, but eventually it's like kind of clear that oh this guy's kind of a little fucker. It's kind of a butt, Mm -hmm. butt. yeah. (laughs) The next day is Saturday. Let the games begin. Okay. So Jenny arrives in the afternoon. She's looking nervous to be in a haunted as fuck house, and Brandt explains that his parents are out for the afternoon. And you know, he's gonna give her a tour of the house. He shows her his dad's office with all the ancient tribal weapons and armor. He points out the spears and some poison-tipped darts that he insists she touched to see how sharp they are. Is that what killed the poor cat? No, the spear killed the cat. Oh. The poison-tipped darts are new, but apparently, like, I'm going to start referring to this office as the Room of Death. Because it's literally a room full of weapons in a haunted house. Good idea. Yeah, it's like those, that's in like every haunted house. Like, look at all this crap we have that could kill you. <laughs> yeah, like right? It's like our knives on the wall, all of those. <laughs> Do you like our knife collection? <laughs> what about our collection of antique poisons? Strictly for display. Display purposes only. <laughs> it really adds a homey feel. Um, he points out the spears, the poison tip darts, and after that, Brant suggests that they go up to his room, where all the books and things are, so they can study. And when the they get up there, studying. yeah, lots of studying happening. Uh, when they get up there, they're kind of getting settled. They're actually pulling some books out of book bags. Good job. Good for show. Well, Jenny notices books. she did bring the books. I don't know if we mm-hmm. intend on reading the books, but fine. <laughs> she notices the little leather pouch around Brant's neck. She asks him, what is that? And he says, well, you know, it's his good luck charm. Uh, it saved his life once, but he doesn't really want to talk about that. So he changes subject. Hey, don't mind, Danielle. It's not important. Disregard it's that fact. It's not important. Leave it's it not alone. important. It's not going to come up again, okay? <laughs> Jenny says that she's thirsty. Yeah, honey, we know. And <laughs> she's going to go to the kitchen and get something to drink while Brant reads off the list of experiments, right? So he's trying to focus when he hears Jenny screaming from the kitchen. <laughs> he runs down the stairs and there's blood fucking everywhere. Jenny is standing in the middle of the kitchen with her arms up in the air and she's screaming for him to make it stop, make it stop. And the blood is coming from her wrists. But her wrists have been cut a number of times. And she is starting to lose it. She's going into shock. Right at the second, Brian's parents come home. 
and they come in the back door and they start to ask what the hell is going on because they don't even know who this girl is and they're wrapping her wrist they're trying to stop the bleeding and Jenny is just rambling about how the glass just flew out of her hand and shattered in midair it moved by itself they all take Jenny to the hospital to get her patched up I have a feeling it's a dumb ghost girl. She's jelly. Everything's about Callie. Mm-hmm. So they get her patched up at the hospital. They take her back to her house. They drop her at the door, which is a weird move, because if somebody else's kid got seriously injured at my house, I feel like a conversation with a parent is... Okay, but whatever. They drop her at the door, where she makes a joke about how next time they should study at her house. And she goes inside. <laughs> so this yeah. wasn't enough to deter her from Brant. Okay. She loves him so much. I, she has a boyfriend. Okay. Oh, right. But she's a hoe. Because she was like, oh. I like what I want or whatever. Remember whatever she said? Yeah. She's like, I do what I want. Yeah. And she is kind of a hoe. Um, <laughs> a little one. Not a big a one. A little one. Not a big one. It's fine. <laughs> So Brant is a little shook up, right? He needs a walk. Jenny's house is not that far from his, so he convinces his parents, like, I'll meet you there, I just want to walk. And he kind of sets off walking. And of course, he immediately seems to be followed by some kind of menacing shadow figure that he can't quite make out. He starts to run, and the figure gives chase until he trips over a tree branch and lands face first in the yard. He hears a voice. It's Abby. She asks him what the hell he's doing other than falling on his face. And he gets up and plays off the blood stains on his shirt as mud. And asks Abby if she wants to go inside and talk for a while. Sure. Talk. How many people have to die at your house, bro? Okay. So she says that, you know, honestly, this house scares her. She's not going in. She doesn't want to go. That night. He's trying to sleep, and once again, hears footsteps in the attic. <sighs> okay, one more time. In the attic, Brant sees Callie's diary. In the middle of the floor again, but this time, it's been moved. And it's open to a new page, where there is new writing. Now, the diary says, I made Jenny bleed. Abby is next. And he starts flipping through the diary and he notices that the new entry is in the same handwriting as the other entries. Callie Frazier, the dead girl. So now two things become clear to Brant. Number one, the house is legitimately haunted at the very least by the ghost of Callie Frazier. And two, if anyone can defeat this ghost and keep Abby safe, it's him. This fucking kid. (laughs) I mean, can't you see him, like, so determined? It sounded like Keanu Reeves. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. 
Well, and, and that's why, like, right here, I really wanted, like, an 80s monster movie, like, prep the house montage <laughs> right here, where we got some, like, badass 80s oh, music, yeah. and we see Brant, like, <laughs> doing research on how to kill ghosts, and then going around the house and setting some traps, and, like, loading <laughs> holy water into squirt guns, and, like, all the stuff, right? Yeah. But we don't. Still. Instead, before school, Brant is going to call Abby and warn her not to come near the house. I'm pretty sure she said she wasn't, but okay. He picks up the phone and realizes that he doesn't know her number. So he goes to look it up, but then he remembers he doesn't know her last name either. Or which house she lives in, for that matter. Well, darn it, he's, he's going to warn her the next time he sees her, for sure. Meanwhile, he's got a date at Meg's house, so he heads over there. Okay. <laughs> that is just special. Priorities, bro. Brant is telling her all about what happened the day before with Ginny. He even tells her about finding the diary in the attic and how he found a strange new entry. And Meg thinks that it's John. John's playing tricks on Brant. Do you remember her pup named Scooby-Doo? Yeah. Do you remember every time Freddy would be like, it was Red Harry? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's Meg, but with John. Uh, like, anytime something happens, Meg's like, oh no, this was John. John did this. Uh, John's cray. But she quickly forgets about John, and they, she, you know, she trips and falls on his face. Whoops. And they start making out. Pretty hardcore. But they keep kind of getting interrupted. Like her cat like walks across them at some point. And then the doorbell rings and she goes up to get it. And it's Jenny. Awkward. Jenny takes Meg into the next room to call her all kinds of names. And Brant yells out something like, girls, girls. Don't fight over me. There's plenty of me to go around. So he's angling for a threesome, which is, I feel, ambitious at that age, but okay. And a few minutes later, Jenny leaves in a huff. Meg says something like she doesn't know what her problem is. Jenny already has a boyfriend. It's Party's over, though. Brent walks home. He's thinking about how fun it is to have two girls fight over him. When he gets to the house, he goes straight up to the attic to check the diary again. And he turns to the last page and he sees there's a new entry. Right under where it says, I made Jenny bleed, Abby is next. It now says, Brant, you cannot save Abby. Period. So Brant, the ghost slayer, puffs up and starts yelling into the empty space at the attic asking Callie if it's her and if she's making all these threats. And in a power move, he yells that he's taking her diary and he's going to hide it from her so she can't make any more threats. So he grabs the diary <laughs> and he heads down to his room. He's going to find a truly diabolical hiding place. Can you guess the perfect hiding place, Danielle? The attic. No, motherfucker puts it in the top dresser drawer, okay? Perfect. That's so Ghost Callie will never find it here. Uh, 
my god. <laughs> like, is it so obvious? Maybe that's why. Like, you have this reverse psychology. Like, no, he's yeah, just a it's dumbass. So obvious. He's taking control of this ghost situation. He's gonna take <laughs> her diary and put it in and ruin. But just then, he hears a small voice. Can't really make it out or hear where it's coming from. So he listens. There was again. It almost sounded like a child. He followed the voice down the, down the hallway to a closed door of a spare room. He could hear it clearly now. It was a kid. Some kid that was calling for his mom and dad to please come and get him. Some kid that said his name was James. Poor James, trapped in the dark alone forever. This still breaks my heart. At least he had Chubby. Brant can now hear James's voice coming from inside the wall, calling for help. And he runs downstairs and he finds a large wooden mallet. And once he's back in the room, he starts to open up the wall where he can hear the boy's voice coming from. When he makes the first hole, the smell hits him. That same rotting, sour smell. It's King he makes Jelly the Jane hole a little bigger, and he cannot believe what he sees. It is the rotting skeleton of a little boy, holding the rotting skeleton of a little dog. Clothes were still on the skeleton, and some bits of hair still clung to the boy and the dog. Poor James. I hate this part of these books. I don't. I don't deal well when like the babies and the moms are separated in fiction. I hate. I hate it. It resonates with me. I don't like Dumbo for that reason. I cannot help it. In the beginning, when they take him oh, away from his mom, mom, I'm like, fuck you guys. I cannot, I don't know. Do not separate the moms and the babies. Mm-hmm. But I digress. So, mom the and dad. Are traumatizing on so many levels. That it's a horrible was, movie. It is horrible. a horrible movie with no redeeming qualities. No. There's a bunch of racist shit in it. Like, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I hate like, Dumbo. Official stance. As a Dumbo is cute. Like, just Dumbo, because I love elephants. And I like Timothy, because my grandma loves mice, so she always likes Timothy. Okay, Timothy was okay. Timothy was okay. And I do like the pink elephants, just because they're funny, and he mm-hmm. was drunk. But other than that, I hate it. <laughs> Everything else about that movie is shit. Like that, they separate the, the baby from the mom. There's like all this like abusive circus shit going mm-hmm. on. Like it's terrible. I hate it. I hate Moving it. On. Uh, moving on. Mom and dad arrive a little later and Brant shows him what he found. Dad says this could account for all the strange things that have been happening. This could be a classic case of a poltergeist hunting because those are normally spirits of children. They call the police and all hope that now the boy's body has been found and put to rest. The house will be at peace. Callie watches all this go down in an invisible corner of the room. She can't really feel sadness about her brother. 
because the hate is just too strong. And she sets her sight back onto Brandt. Little time passes here, a little bit of a time jump. A week has gone by since James's body was discovered, and nothing odd has really happened in the house since then. So they all think that they're in the clear. That's why that Sunday morning when Abby comes by, Brant convinces her to come in the house. She's walking around, she notices Brant's dad's room of death, and he <laughs> tells her a little bit about the island that he used to live on. He says the natives there believed that everyone has two spirits living inside him, inside them. One spirit makes up your personality, and one spirit makes up your life force. That's why the natives there would hold rituals where they would kill animals and drink their blood. They believed that the animal's life force is contained in the blood, and that by drinking it, they make their own life forces stronger. Just then, Mom says that Brant has a phone call, and he leaves Abby alone in the room of death. It's Jenny on the phone, but the conversation doesn't get very far before he hears Abby screaming from the other room. Mom and Brant run to find Abby trapped under a large suit of armor, and they lift it and free her. But she armor. says, yeah, it fell over on top of her. Okay. She said she was just looking at it, and it came flying off the wall and almost crushed her to death. She couldn't breathe. Brant tells Abby about the diary that he found and about how it predicted that she would have an accident, and Abby is pissed because she knew the house was evil. She told him so. Yeah, but Brant, she did. And she was like, ah, I don't want to go in there. And he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I kind of knew this was going to happen to you. So Abby's like, screw you, Brant. But Brant's in denial. He's just like, he's dusting her off. You're good. You're good. You're fine. Everything's fine. We found the body last week. It's, you know, this is just an accident. Total coincidence. Not ha haunted anymore. Everything's fine. The next day in the hall at school, John confronts Brant and he threatens him about Jenny. But while he's doing this, Brant notices that same dark shadow figure coming down the hall over John's shoulder. The same one that chased him that day in the street. It's a dark shadowy mass and it's advancing on John. Only John can't see it. Brant calls John out and He's like, fine, you want to fight? Let's fight. Fight right here. But John knows how easily Brant gets hurt, and he's he's not actually trying to kill him. So he basically is like, you're nuts. I know that you're really easily bruised. You're really easy to get hurt. Stay away from my girlfriend, but I'm not trying to go to jail for killing people. Right. And Brant keeps, like, kind of agging him on. And John's like, you are batshit. Like, I don't know what's going on with you, but you are crazy. Stay away from my girlfriend. And they leave, and the shadow leaves. And, like, I guess maybe because they're together. I don't know why. Shadow does not attack. Shadow retreats. So Brant now wants answers. It's clear that James is not the only ghost in the house, and he needs to find out what is going on here. He starts with Callie's diary. He locks himself in his room. He reads every page carefully, looking for clues about how to solve the problem of the evil in this house. 
He goes up into the attic. He finds some boxes that the Frasers had left behind. He finds a picture of Callie, Cody, and James. Happy before they moved into the house. And then he hears a laughing. Sounds like a girl, but it's coming from downstairs. So he goes downstairs and that the laughing gets louder. But no one's home. And now he understands that the sound is actually coming from inside his own head. And the laughter is getting louder and more maniacal. It is hurting his head. He's, he starts yelling for it to stop, but it just, it just gets louder. He tries to drown out the sound with the radio, but he can't. And he feels like his head is going to split in half, so he takes off running. He runs out of the house and across the lawn. And when he reaches the street, the laughter stops. Okay, and now we get a time jump again. A few more days have passed and the doorbell rings. It's Ginny and Meg. They have come over and brought him some brownies. They just want to see how he's doing. They heard John had kind of gotten on his case about things. But he's delighted to see both of these girls at his house, so he invites the girls in for brownies. Ginny is hesitant, obviously, because she almost died last time, but she also is almost convinced herself that that was some kind of an accident. So after some prodding from Meg, she goes in the house too. Jenny points out the room of death and the deadly poison darts to Meg. Brant says that they get shot out of a blowgun. And he pulls one of these blowguns out of a drawer in his dad's office to show them what it looks like. Why? 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 Oh, he's just showing them. He's showing them weapons. Maybe he, he thinks it's like going to get them stoked. I have no idea. He, so he puts a dart into the blowgun. And he explains that the natives on the island that they lived on had a trick where they could just puff a little bit of air and the dart would go flying hundreds of yards. Dad calls to Brant from outside to help him with this tree that he's trying to trim in the yard. And Brant tells the girls, he'll be right back. And he leaves to help Dad. Stop leaving people alone in rooms, Brant. Have we learned nothing? No, he doesn't. He's completely oblivious. He's thinking about his dick and basketball and that's it. He does not care. (laughs) Whatever. He trots out on the lawn. Dad is confused because the tree that he's trying to trim, Mm -hmm. he's just cut it. And this tree has this weird, like, dark red sap. Mm. And it's dripping down the cut tree branches. It almost looks like this tree is bleeding. Ew. After helping Dad, Brant heads back inside and he calls out to the girls, but there's no answer. He finds them in the room of death. Dead. They're both lying on the floor, not moving, with their eyes wide open. Each girl had a poison dart lodged in their necks. Later, at the emergency room, the doctor says that the girls are lucky to be alive. They'll be in the hospital for a number of days, and they might have some permanent nerve damage. But there's no way to tell right now. Dad asks Brant again, did he see anybody come out of the house or going in? Who could have done this to them? Because remember, Brant was with Dad. 
Mm-hmm. And Brant says that no, he didn't think that, or he says no, he, he didn't think that anyone came in the house. It was the ghost. The ghost in the house did this. And for the very first time, Dad says he doesn't want to hear any more about ghosts right now. But Brant knows where to get answers. He goes to his room and finds Callie's diary on the floor in front of the closet. And there's a new entry. No more Ginny. No more Meg. Abby dies next. Brant turned and was going to go warn Abby, but he was confused to see her standing in the doorway. Mom and Dad must have let her in. So he starts to tell Abby to get out of the house. The house is evil. The house wants to hurt her, but Abby doesn't move. Abby starts to change. She grows tall. Her face starts to twist and distort. Her eyes become dead and cold. And now Brant is looking at the ghost of Callie Frazier. Callie explains she was only wearing Abby as a disguise. And now she's dead. And Callie is so lonely and it's time for Brant to join her. His parents can leave if he wants, but Callie's keeping Brant forever. She tells him it won't hurt much, and then she buries a hatchet deep into Brant's skull. What? Laughing. Whoa. There's a beat, and Brant doesn't move. He doesn't bleed. He doesn't die. Ghost bitch Callie starts circling him, screaming, Die! Die! Why won't you die? Callie's having a rough day. She is. Brant slowly reaches up and pulls the hatchet from his head. And he throws mm-hmm. it to the floor. You see, it's his condition. He's Callie dead. can't kill him because he's already dead. I knew it. I said it. I said it hours ago. I said he's a ghost boy. And we were all shocked. (laughs) He tells Callie he died two years ago. He's not a ghost, but he is dead. Mm. Two years ago, when they all lived on the island, he was poisoned and died. They buried him. But his parents couldn't accept it. They hired a local sorcerer to help. They dug up his grave and the sorcerer lured a drifter into the hut and performed a ritual that stole the drifter's life force and gave it to Brant. It reanimated him. Mm -hmm. That pouch that Brant wears around his neck contains the hair and fingernail clippings of the drifter whose soul they stole. Gross. Brant is undead Mm. and Callie is thrilled now they can have this house together (laughs) and she goes to kiss him which is weird because she's not corporeal but okay and he doesn't like her (sighs) no he doesn't (laughs) but he sees that same dark shadow in the corner of the room again and he pushes Callie out of the way and he calls to the shadow asking who is it What do they want? And the shadow seems to settle and take shape. 
It's the drifter. The drifter's shriveled body. It opens its mouth and its voice comes out like wind through leaves. And the drifter says that he's back for his life force. And he pulled the pouch from Brant's neck and Brant screamed and the drifter seems to like rehydrate in front of them, right? And he leaves the room crying happily. He could feel his heart beating again. Brant, however, starts to crumble like the Maitlands in the last scene of Beetlejuice. (laughs) He shriveled up. Several teeth fall out of his face. His limbs start to fall off one by one and crumble into dust. Ghost bitch Callie is screaming. Screaming for Brant. But Brant is gone. He didn't have a ghost to stay in the house with. He's just gone. And once again, Callie was left alone in the house at 99 Fear Street. All alone. And that's how it ends. I was not a fan of this one. It had a good ending. I guess. You saw it coming a million miles away, though. But I didn't know that he was, like, gonna have, like, a pouch of hair. I guess. I figured it was some kind of a, uh, what is it, a, like a Greek, Greek, Greek? Mm-hmm. Oh, it? that's true. Mm-hmm. Like a little medicine bag. Mm-hmm. Somebody's screaming at me right now. I'm sorry if I butchered your religious artifact name. <laughs> um, but yeah, not my fave. Not my I fave, mean, the, yeah. The first one was so fast paced and like we had hardcore shit i mean we had sinks with vomit and blood raining from the sky and little kids disappearing and now we've got you know horny teenage boys and random voodoo backstory i don't we took a hard left in this one yeah and we still have one more to go there's still one more oh yeah you're right yeah i don't know any other any other reflections you're still probably absorbing Although I know you could see that coming from the from the I saw it coming, but I still thought the ending was pretty good. Like it had some I think it had some good moments. It just yeah, it was not nearly as good as the first one, but it had moments. And I still think like the ending was pretty good. I just felt like all that shit with the girls and stuff was totally unnecessary. Like and I actually I cut a bunch out like there was so much of it that didn't really seem to have anything to do with anything. Mm hmm. And we had such a rich ghost story in the first, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't, I don't know. No, you're I, right. I, yeah. I might be being a tad unfair because I did like the first book so much. And if I'm mm-hmm. like setting them up next to each other, then mm-hmm. obviously I like the first one better. But if this were a standalone, I might mm-hmm. feel differently. Yeah. I'm still unsure. Did we have to kill the cat? No, we totally didn't have to kill the cat. There was no reason for that. There was at no all. zero reason for the cat to die. And I felt that was kind of cheap. You could have done some other cool stuff. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And where are all the other ghosts? Callie was not the only ghost in the house. True. Yeah. Before. I hope they come back. I hope they come back in the third one. Because there's no mention of any ghost but her. And there's no mention of like any shenanigans happening that she didn't make happen. So where are all the other? There's, this is supposed to be a house full of ghosts. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. I didn't even think about that. Like, there's supposed to be more than just her. And I don't want to give people the impression that, you know, we don't love these books. Of course we do. But there's going to be some that we're just going to go, really? Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to have this many books and not have a few stinkers. Right. For sure. For sure. Okay. So since we have some new patrons, we were able to start uploading some recipes. So we have a new series and they're all fun snack recipes for some of our patrons. And if you're part of that tier, you'll able to see a little recipe card that we created and it's posted to the Patreon page and it will have a recipe for you to make. And if you ever make any of them, make sure to tag us on Instagram or share to the Facebook group and let us know how they turn out. Oh, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see some people making our stuff. That'd be cool. Mm -hmm. Well, so next episode, it's Goosebumps again with our lovely Miss Danielle. And because it is the season, she's going to be telling us Attack of the Jack-O-Lanterns. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) And until next time, we are out. Like those 12-foot-tall skeletons. At Home Depot. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.